0: I'm Diane Brady. I'm here with one of our contributors, Ben Colton, who is Director of Research at Beacon Policy Advisors. Hi, Ben. Hi, Diane. Thanks for joining us. I'm, I'm loving your article that you wrote here, House Speaker Race Portends Chaotic Times for Governing and Markets. You said it. As of this taping, I think for um, Kevin McCarthy, we're going into round 12. Uh, what's going on? Who's to blame here?
1: Oh. Well, before before laying, laying the fa- fault, it may be worth laying the foundation of why are we having a House Speaker race go as long as it has since before the Civil War? Uh, but this isn't, this isn't something that's uh, necessarily new. Just last Congress, uh, we had the, the Democrats going through a pretty chaotic spell where they had the longest budget reconciliation process in history. Uh, it took well over, the, over a year. So there's something going on here in Congress, and I, I think it's worth maybe pinning down some of the foundational points here. And that's because I think there's an inherent instability in in, in Congress. When you look at kind of Congress in in the last century, between 1955 and 1995, control of the House did not change once. It was Democrats who hold control, and and their majority was over 50 seats in every year, uh, at at the least. Uh, But since that time, Congress has, or the House has flipped five or four times, and Republicans, they only hold a four-seat majority, which is the same as, as, as Democrats. They only have four seats to spare. So so what does that mean? Now, you'd think like a, a smaller majority uh, means that there's a greater likelihood in, in working together across the aisle, working with with Democrats or Republicans in a bipartisan way, but that's not the case. There's historic uh, polariz- polarization in, in our politics. So what this means is that leadership has a smaller margin of error for delivering votes. And that means that there's there's more leverage. You can't lose more than 2% of, of your caucus. Now, in this day and age, it's it's pretty easy to, to bring along 90% of the caucus. And that's what you've seen Kevin McCarthy do. He has brought along 90% of his Republican uh, uh, counterparts to vote for him for speaker. But he needs getting that final 8% is, is the is the problem. And getting that five, final 8% is you get to deal with a lot of these idiosyncratic members and so that's basically like herding cats.
0: Well, when you say idiosyncratic members, um, I just want to step back a second and whether you call it the, the rogue contingent, these 20 um, GOP members that are uh, holding up things, wouldn't th- they say democracy is messy? Is that not really what we're seeing here or is it something different at play? Because we're presenting sure, it as a problem. D- d-
1: democracy is, is is messy, but... I think for for some of these members the messiness is not a means to an end but an end unto itself mm. and so what do I mean by this is that you know today there's a historic distrust in in institutions of power uh Congress has a seven percent approval rating it's it's one of the least uh well well trusted institutions of power and and these Republicans are really tapping into that uh they 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 really don't like it's not about Disliking Democrats or Republicans, it's disliking this institution. And so, what they see in Kevin McCarthy, they see someone who uh, operates with flattery, not not authority. Uh, McCarthy, he's been running for speaker for for eight years since his last failed effort in 2015. Uh, that he he kind of says what he wants to say to kind of get the votes. Uh, he he's raises over a, a half a billion dollars for for candidates, and he crisscrosses across the country. Uh, to, to campaign for people. And that's just anathema to some of these Republican holdouts. Uh, they wanna upend, or rather even just end, just the way how government is, is run and, and functions. And so they see McCarthy as someone who is kind of a bygone era or kind of represents the worst of kind of the institutions of power. And so what they're, they're, what they're asking for is, is a complete change. And even that may not be enough for, for some of them who, who are, call themselves never Kevins, that they just want to see a, a fresh face in leadership. And so when, when you're operating with small margins and, and you're operating in historic polarization where Democrats aren't willing to give any votes for, for McCarthy, you're kind of in between a rock and a hard place. And these holdouts know they have this leverage and they're wielding it as much as they can.
0: I'm I'm conscious of the fact that we're having this conversation um, on the second anniversary of the January 6th uh riots i don't even attacks i don't even know what to describe them at this point but one thing that's been interesting in this in this uh i would call it a debacle so far is the fact that the former president donald trump does not seem to have much sway over this contingent that allegedly pledges allegiance to him
1: yes I, i think an important thing to know is that trump didn't start this movement uh he 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 created a he he created a, a, a marketing for it. He called it "Make America Great Again." But before that, it was the Tea Party movement. And, and so he he doesn't hold direct sway over kind of this discontent of kind of the establishment institutions. He he's just kind of he wants to like leave his mark on it. But it's it's clear that now that he's out of power, now that he does he still doesn't have Twitter. It's harder for him to be kind of involved in in the news cycle where a lot of these members are are kind of eager to be atop of the news cycle. His say does not hold much sway, and I think it's also important to note that that for 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 Trump, a lot of this is about him. He's not saying do this for me. He's saying, well, you should vote for McCarthy because you know he's he's a good choice. And so I think there's a difference between this being a rebuttal directly of Trump versus this being a rebuttal of of McCarthy and the establishment. And they're just saying no, Trump. We we support Trump. As you saw, Matt Gates uh, nominating uh, Donald Trump as Speaker of the House. Um, but it's, 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 it's more, more just, it's, it's not, it's not Trump's bailiwick of, of where he can like, kind of leave his influence. But it is also a reminder that Trump is at his weakest point, uh, since he's entered politics in, in in 2015. Uh, he, it's been two years since the insurrection. He was voted out of office, uh, his, his arch rival, uh, Mitch McConnell was, was reelected as the longest, uh, Senate leader in, in, in history. And there's there's someone who's really uh, uh, eyeing to out trump Trump in, in in Florida in Governor Ron DeSantis, and so I think that this is kind of does underscore some of the the, the lower power that Trump uh, holds these days.
0: No, we're we're talking about dysfunction, and so let let's uh, before we're not prognosticators here. Obviously, there's there's going to be some end to this, and somehow, but the GOP itself, you know, the this level of divisiveness. Um, I don't know if you wanna to speak to that because I think there's certainly going to be a lot of examination after this episode, even if they do come to some sort of understanding. What what, what do you think? Tell us a little bit about the evolution that you're seeing. Um, is this party of 20 likely to grow bigger? Is it now likely to be more marginalized? We're certainly seeing the former president not seen as strong as contender, perhaps as he was a couple of months ago.
1: Well, certainly, this this wing of the Republican Party is is here to stay. Uh, I think with McCarthy, whether he wins or where, whether he, he doesn't win uh, the, the the role for Speaker, one thing was clear was that after twenty fifteen, when he lost because he was not seen as conservative enough, he made a, a conscious decision to ingratiate himself with the conservative or called the Tea Party or the MAGA elements of the party. And so, even if Trump is not the is not the leader, even if McCarthy is not the leader. Of 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 Republicans in in the House, uh, Trumpism in 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 parlance is here to stay. It's just is there what's the next iteration of Trumpism? Is it these people like Matt Gates? Is it these people like Chip Roy who who are looking to kind of you know wield wield uh, the, the the power of the House and, and the House rules and the, kind of the organization to try to create drastic cuts in spending to try to hold shutdowns over kind of border wall policies. Um, and, and, and trying to maybe negotiate uh, a change in, in entitlement spending at the risk of, a, of the first ever default uh, of, of U.S. debt, and then at the same time at the presidential level, it may it may be Trump. Uh, I mean, he's running for office, but the, his biggest competitor is not someone who's anti-Trump. It's someone who is even more Trump, Trumpy, and that's Governor Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And so it's not, a, it's not an, an either or of whether we're going to have Trumpism or this MAGA element or not. It's just what kind of what's the variant going to look like? And someone like DeSantis is, as you can see, that he had his inauguration this week after ha- having a big reelection uh, in, in, in November. And, and his focus is on attacking kind of businesses, this so-called wokeism, uh, ESG investing, uh, and and this anti-institutionalists, anti-experts, that you're kind of seeing some of these similar elements in in the in the, the Republican holdouts, and and just not to mention that Ron DeSantis was an original founder of the House Freedom Caucus, which is where all these member, all these holdouts belong to in, in the House.
0: You're talking about institutions. Um, let's pivot from Congress for a second because there, we're seeing some workarounds in a way with some other institutions in Washington that. Um, if there certainly can't make policy, but we're getting edicts, FTC, and otherwise, what do you make of that?
1: Yeah, so nature abhors a vacuum, and so what could happen, ironically, is a gravita- gravitation away from kind of House Republicans and more towards steady institutions of power. So, as you're saying, the FTC had a, a rollout on a non-compete uh, agreements, which is a major shift in, in in labor and competition policy. You know, President Biden. Uh, despite being 18 year, years old, he's very likely going to run for re-election. And he wants to contrast himself, uh, a chaotic uh, legislative branch, branch with a robust regulatory agenda. And so you're going to see a continuing focus towards power being directed in, in the executive branch, if things can't get done in the legislative branch. So there's the, the Federal Trade Commission. They're looking to to also release a, a pretty comprehensive data privacy policy. The Securities and Exchange Commission, they're looking in April to release a uh, climate disclosure requirements for, for corporations. And then there's the, the, the greater geopolitical dynamic of of the United States versus China in this kind of stiff competition policy. While there may be a desire in Congress to do some action at the legislative level, if they can't get something done, the administration will go forward. And so we're already seeing a possibility of, of, of executive orders on outbound investment restrictions into investments in China, further restrictions on on things like semiconductors, and perhaps even a, a continuing trade war uh with with some tariffs there. And so with there's not if nothing gets done in, in, in the House, that doesn't mean nothing gets done in, in, in Washington, DC. It's kind of the opposite. It's just power shifts to, to an area where where things can get done.
0: Which is ironic in a way, because then the whole area of deep state, et cetera, you know, where the power lies, it could give more fodder to this wing. Let's let's talk about the here and now. Um uh, do, do you see a likely outcome? We're seeing concessions um, from Kevin McCarthy. We're hearing talk of some sort of deal potentially with the Democrats. I, I can't even begin to wade into the weeds, so I'm going to pivot over to you. What do you think is likely? How is this going to play out?
1: McCarthy and, and his leadership al- allies realize you know, they, they can't make a deal with Democrats. It, it just That's just the nature of this partisan uh, world that we live in and, and, and that. These 212 votes are are going to stick with uh, Hakeem Jeffries, the the Democratic leader, and so the goal is, what concessions can they make with kind of the holdouts, the Republican holdouts, to get him to 218 votes? Uh, and so he made a deal last night with with some of the holdouts, a lot of concessions on how the 118th Congress is organized, giving a lot more power to kind of the far right and and less power to 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 leadership. Now, does that provide enough votes? It, it, it won't. Um, the goal is to provide some votes that move away from voting for someone else towards McCarthy, and then the goal is to do a squeeze play, which is just to to kind of to pressure these these last remaining holdoffs, holdouts, or enough of them, in in order to kind of maybe bring concessions or other thing to pressure them into voting for McCarthy. Uh, but to paraphrase uh, the the Yogi Berra. Uh, 90% of counting votes is mental. The other half is physical. There, there's something of a topsy-turvy environment here thinking that uh, the, the strategy can, can, can work, especially when these holdouts feel empowered uh, going against uh, and being in the limelight and going against uh, McCarthy and, and with their goal of like bringing him down. So McCarthy, as I said, he's been running for speaker for eight years. Uh, he's willing to go the distance, but the rest of the Republican conference isn't willing to, to wait out that long. And so there's going to be a point in time if this squeeze plays doesn't work. Now, it may, but if it doesn't, uh, there's going to be increasing pressure in, in the coming days uh, among McCarthy allies to tell him to step aside and to make room for, for someone else to, to, to try to, to win the gavel. And that next person would be Representative Steve Scalise, the, the second-ranking Republican. Now, Scalise is seen as more authentically conservative uh, than, than, than McCarthy. And he does have pretty broad support among kind of the, the conservatives to the moderates of, of the party. Uh, and so I, I think some of these never Kevin voters, uh, the Matt Gates, the Lauren Boberts, uh, the, the Andy Biggs of the world, may be a little more amenable to, to voting for, for Scalise. But of course, he is still part of leadership. And if they're looking for a fresh face and, and someone who is not a part of the current leadership apparatus, then all bets are off of what happens next. And, and it's in that point where there's kind of a lot of chaos, and there may be such exasperation that you could see some sort of deal with Democrats, although that's still kind of very far away. Uh, and 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 so I think that's why there's a lot of kind of all bets are off if 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 neither McCarthy nor Scalise can can get the votes.
0: Well, it would be entertaining if the stakes were not so high. So thanks for making us smarter about this, Ben. Look forward to continuing the conversation. Likewise.